You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. Creativity is something that we all need, use, and indeed have in spades, but we don't always appreciate it or know how to encourage it. In this occasional series of conversations, I'm talking to creative professionals, people who get paid to provide creativity on tap, and people who've been able to remain creatively successful over the course of their careers. We'll talk about the highs and lows of this kind of work, try to disentangle their secrets for success, and find out whether Steve Jobs was right when he said that real artists ship. It's incredible how many people believe they can't draw. And most of the time, it's a very firmly held belief. But according to Darren Fisher, an animation lecturer and graphic communicator at Swinburne University in Melbourne, it's a myth. I was really taken with some of the points he made in an article on this very subject, so I dropped him a line to see if we could discuss it further. The ideas behind why people think they can't draw, to my mind, is a fascinating insight into how we think about a lot of other things. And it's all the more relevant in an age where creativity is becoming ever more important. By the way, don't miss the final section of this chat where we talk about the sort of practices that Darren has put in place to nurture and replenish his creativity over the long haul. He shares some simple but really important habits to keep the spark alive. And these are perfect for anyone who's looking to apply creative thinking to their work, whether or not that involves actually drawing anything. Darren. I was very taken with this article of yours that I found through um, a, a digest that comes to me. And I really am delighted to have <laughs> an opportunity to dig into that with you. So could you just give us a little bit of an overview of what was in the article and then we'll take it from there? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, yeah, so the article I wrote was for the conversation. And in the article, I just talked about my thoughts on on drawing and and why um, this idea that people can't draw is is not correct. So I teach at university, and so I hear a lot of students say I can't draw, which is weird because they're studying animation. And then more generally, a lot of people have this fear around drawing and stuff, and I always found it kind of weird because everyone draws as a child. And so I started doing some some research into this for a paper that I had published for an online journal, and then I found out, a lot of stuff that I then distilled into this conversation article. So essentially the article was sort of just saying the reason people think that they can't draw is because we have this outcome-focused mindset. So it has to be a certain way. We need to have a certain standard of proficiency. We hold ourselves against established artists and we have Mm -hmm. this idea of people that can draw have like this innate talent yeah. But actually there's like a lot of research that shows that what's missing in terms of people being able to draw is just practice. Yeah. And con- continuing that from from a child. So like and there's certain ways that they can do that like f- through copying other artists and having like a consistent visual structure to follow and then practicing obviously. So just sort of mm. um talked about my one sort of style of drawing that I really love, which is automatic drawing, which is just this like active drawing and really being in the moment and observing yourself and feeling your body as you draw. And the drawings can end up looking like just all kinds of crazy patterns, but it's not representational stuff that you're drawing. Mm. Um, So it's kind of like about that. It was like that you've got sort of observational drawing where you're looking at things and trying to 
get them onto the from a three D you know plane into a two D plane, and then memory drawing, and then this automatic drawing, and that all of these are important. But what's most important is just to enjoy the process, mm. and then proficiency will come. Yeah. As you're as you're talking there, something has kind of come up um, for me, and in terms of so when I was young, you know, neither of my parents were any way crafty or or anything like that. They de- they certainly encouraged me to do so, but I had no examples. I had no I had no one to look at in terms of seeing an adult practicing a skill and improving. I didn't have that kind of measure of how long it would take or anything. And I guess one of the things that I absolutely loved as a kid was art and craft shows on TV. Um, you know, the the ones where they start out to make something, they have all the things ready. And then 30 minutes later, they either have a beautiful drawing or they have a perfect example of the thing that they were making. So that, I think, is probably something that puts a lot of people on the back foot because they assume that that's how they should be able to make it. A child of eight or 10 years of age is comparing what they are producing from the things that their mother has in the kitchen, which very often was nowhere near what was required at all. And then going on and going, oh, gosh, you know, mine doesn't look anything like theirs. I'm rubbish at this. Yeah, it's like that. Um, I don't know if you've seen that sort of how to draw an owl sort of thing. And it's like, step one, draw two spheres. And then step two, the finished thing, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we, we do, something happens to the brain around, and I wrote about this a bit in the article, around sort of pre-teens where we stop we stop just sort of drawing for the fun of it and like in this really free manner and we become really analytical and start comparing ourselves in this really critical way Mm. so I'm not sure I'm not sure why that happens and how much of that is sort of genetic and how much of it is our educational systems which really you know hold us to these strict rubrics of judgment and criticism so yeah not sure but it's definitely it gets a lot of people starting to say, I can't do this, I can't do that, you know, because just comparing themselves. Yeah. And of course, I mean, there's there's a whole slew of other things going on, you know, in terms of um, how much uh, resources are given to things like art and uh, art and crafts and design and so on in schools. So for you, I mean, we were talking earlier and you were telling me that, you know, this was something you've done from a very early age, um, but also with encouragement. Um, so there was definitely a, a reward cycle built into that for you. Um, for a lot of kids, again, you know, when you uh, do your best and it's not good enough, that's that's the opposite of the cycle, I guess, that you entered into. Yeah. I, do you want me to tell this story? <laughs> so my, 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 just quickly, my mother was really, um, really encouraging as children. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so my dad worked night shifts and so mum essentially raised us more or less for much of our childhood. And so anyway, we would we would draw um, pictures and then if we felt it was good enough, we would hold them up for her and have like a price in the corner, like five cents or ten cents. And and yeah, that was that was really, I think, critical because I still remember it as like as those little hits of serotonin when I would get like, oh man, you know. From, you know, and it wasn't a big sum of money, but I could buy some lollies and it was mostly about that positive reinforcement at that critical age. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, these are how we build habits. You know, your your brain is going, oh, yeah, this is a good thing. I'm going to do that again. Whereas conversely, if you are holding it up and someone's going, oh, that's a bit rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> you're not going to hold up too many more for that level of hurt. So, yeah, your your mom is a star. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. should all be like your mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've, I've heard some really horror stories from animation students who were, you know, like at, you know, studying animation really against their parents' wishes, you know, like, and and oddly enough, some students that, who had like artistic parents who were like, you know, I'm here because my parents want me to be, but it's, yeah, like, so for those students who are there, because despite their parents really not wanting to, them to be there, I wonder how many more are going and studying business or doing something they're not interested mm-hmm. in because they're just like, well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, boat. we had a phenomenon here um, when I was at that stage of, you know, making the transition from secondary school to university. And it was all about trying to get into these uh, super high point courses, university courses that required exceptionally high marks. But it was a very skewed view of why you were doing something. It was a, you were competing for places, not because they were the places you wanted to be, but because of the status of getting into them. So you got all these kids, you know, who went on to be actuarial accountants, and I'm sure they didn't even know what that meant when they were applying for it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've no idea what what that actually is, but it doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> doesn't, does it? But then, you know, the other thing about um, this is really creativity now is is acknowledged as something that we need an awful lot more of, you know, for, for people to be able to um, succeed. Effectively, you need creative thinking. There's very little that you can do without being able to, to, to think creatively. So mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you've come across the Adobe... Um, sort of surveys that they do. And younger generations now do appear to consider themselves far more creative than the older generations. For instance, boomers are least likely to consider themselves creative. And then it it seems to be actually growing as we go down to, you know, the kind of 13-year-olds now. Is is that something you can um, sort of see a pattern for? I mean, I hope that's indicative of like a trend towards, you know, acknowledging the importance of creativity like i can imagine my parents would have been much more hamstrung in terms of their options you know and mm-hmm. unless unless they had you know themselves parents who who were working in creative creative fields and you know social media you've got a lot more access to people showing off their art and stuff and showing that this is a viable career option mm. so yeah hopefully it's we can see more of that as we go along, like I'm reminded of this survey that was conducted by some really amazing um, sort of academics in the creative arts just last year. And it was an Australian survey looking at, I think they surveyed 230 people who identify as graphic storytellers, people who make a living through or, or like subsidize their income to some extent through through making comics and drawing and illustration and whatnot. And it showed that there's a lot of like really emerging opportunities for for drawing and and um, visual storytelling and stuff in all of these different fields, like even like um, law 
and um, you know product design, obviously, or like mm. service service design and, and stuff. So yeah, and there's you know people that go into to corporations and companies and stuff, and then we'll sit down during meetings, for example, and then just sort of um, put up paper on the walls and then just take visual notes of the meetings and the flow of the meetings so people can, you know, look and see the flow of their ideas and see things represented in a visual format. So um, that's just one of these, like, emerging opportunities for, for visual yeah, because we can yeah. take in information so much more quickly in a visual form, can't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, in many instances, I guess, overcomes uh, things like a language barrier. We can see the picture quicker than we can read the words or quicker than we can translate the words. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So scrolling back a little bit um, to the kind of the technical things about drawing um, and it, it was a very different way of being taught or it had a very different way of being taught rather before, did it not? It was much more about a technical thing that you learned almost by rote, I guess, in the same way as you would learn your Greek or your Latin or your maths. You learned how to draw. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's changed a lot over the years. Um, and so at some point in the relatively recent history, it became very much about sort of not copying and drawing, you know, original artworks and stuff. But prior to that, definitely was sort of like procedural, learning a skill, learning a, learning a trade in the way that people would learn to become painters or sculptors. And so we were talking before about how drawing is this foundational skill that people would do before a painting, for example, they would like map it out. So the drawing itself was not the artwork but it was just sort of a step in a in a process and we still we still definitely teach the steps and procedures and sort of say for example if you want to draw a convincing vehicle or a landscape then you need to know about perspective um if you want to work in color then it's helpful to know about sort of color schemes and color psychology and stuff and so there's all of these sort of scaffolding that you can do to make you know artwork that's convincing or Mm -hmm. pleasing but I think that we don't talk enough about like drawing can actually be also a really like beautiful and and engaging and beneficial activity of itself and not just as a way to you know communicate an idea or something and it certainly has like all of those advantages of of communication. Um, like you say, like if, if you're in a country where you don't speak that language, you can communicate with images. Mm-hmm. With my doctorate, it was about telling this story in my life um, through comics. And, and we talked about how like I found that really therapeutic through the act of just going back to that time, spending time there, and then sort of narrativizing myself through this really slow really mm. slow process of drawing. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think it needs to be hand in hand. Yes, we need all of these steps and and procedures in order to get across ideas and, do, and, and make artwork that we actually can be happy with. But we also need to focus on, like, the experience of doing it because otherwise it's just, like, why are we doing it, really, mm. if we're not enjoying it? 
you know, and, and how, how can we expect ourselves to put in the hours that's required to get good at something if we don't enjoy it? Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny. I mean, there's, um, you know, I, I don't, I can't play the piano. Uh, I mean, I, I did it for five or six years between the ages of eight and whatever, but I didn't enjoy it because it was all about learning to pass exams effectively. But I know that I can't play the piano now because I don't put any time into it. And I think that most people would accept that if you pick up an instrument and you don't put the time into it, then you're not going to play it. But somehow there's this feeling that, you know, you should be able to draw. You it, it This should just flow from the end of your fingertips. And there you don't need to put that same um, focus on building up the hours and the experience. Mm. Yeah, we have this idea that some people were just like innately talented and can just sort of, yeah, like, and you hear, you know, stories of people like Mozart, for example, that could just play piano, but they're looked at as child prodigies. Um, mm. Whereas, and, and drawing is some, to some extent on that spectrum where people think that like some people can just draw and other people can't. And I'm always reminded of, there was this guy in my um, year at university who was just so good. Um, at drawing and and I felt the same I was like man this guy's just got this this natural gift and then I I lived in in the house with him for a couple of years and then I noticed that he spent every single minute of his spare time drawing like yeah he didn't he didn't really go out much he was just in his bedroom drawing and practicing and I was like mm. okay that's where that's where talent comes from yeah yeah I mean this is um I don't know if you've come across a book by Angela Duckworth mm. called Grit, um, which is a really interesting book that, you know, she talks about how we um, how we like to look at the end product and see uh, people's achievements as some kind of divine talent, you know, that this is just something that they're born with, because that almost excuses us from having to put in the work that we're willfully blind to that actually creates those results. <laughs> which I think is a okay. very interesting take on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, th th it is really, I will say, one of my favourite things is if I've been working on a drawing in, and it, you know, for some time, sort of waking up the next morning and then going and looking at it with fresh eyes, that's like one of my favourite things. And then sometimes I go like, man, that that's really good, you know, like I, I'm really happy with that. But sometimes not. And, and in those times where I'm not happy with it, I'm really glad that I enjoyed doing it, <laughs> you mm. know, like, so that, yeah, that that's like always comes back to the experience, but yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, when you look at the, the finished outcomes of people who are really proficient and you don't know how they got there, that can be terrible. And, that, and that's why it's good. Like nowadays you can see so much stuff online of people showing their process, yeah. showing the steps and stuff. That's, that's really cool to to see. It's really helpful. I absolutely love, you know, the uh, kind of making of books. You know, you get absolutely gorgeous, huge volumes of, you know, various movies like The Incredibles or How to Train Your Dragon or any of those. Mm -hmm. And it just shows you the level, you know, right from the very scratchiest little um, drawings all the way through to the rendering and so on. I, I, I just love those. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. And it, it, it shows that... Um, that thought process as people sort of, you know, like 
find their way through through mm. images. Yeah. yeah. So that's for me like a really cool part of drawing is like if I'm if I'm working on a comic or working on a project or anything like things occur through that drawing process, like ideas, things that I hadn't considered just mm. through an odd mark or you know a happy accident, you know, to quote Bob Ross or, or whatever, you know, like things occur through that through that image making process like that I that I hadn't like consciously thought about, but must have been inside. Or th- yeah. while I'm drawing, the brain's just cooking away in the background. And then, mm. yeah. Yeah. And that is, that. I mean, for anyone who is working on something else, you know, not necessarily a drawing or anything, it's this idea that, okay, your first idea is not always the best idea. Um, and that you stay open and stay curious about the process and see what happens and see what comes. And for many people, that'll end up being, you know, a pivot or a shift in the direction of what they're doing or what they're offering or how they're serving people as well. So it's um, it's definitely a, a way of thinking that is worth embracing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a um, comic artist who I really love. His name's Chris Ware. And so Chris um, Ware is W-A-R-E. But he's, he says drawing is a way of thinking. And then there's another artist, um, Ivan Brunetti. He does a lot of work for The New Yorker. And so he talks about um, drawing is one of comics, like, greatest formal advantages because if you're writing, you're kind of constructing a story. But with drawings, you're allowing a story to organically grow because once again, like it's so slow and then, and the images speak to you, speak back as you're drawing and they suggest, suggest like possibilities. So, um, like it's like the drawings become a co-creator of the story as, as, um, as you're producing it, which is really, really nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is lovely. Um, that is, that is actually a very beautiful thought. So, um, Darren, just to wrap up, because this has uh, taken in quite a lot of stuff, something that I have been thinking about and starting to ask people is um, in terms of your creative process and in terms of making sure that, you know, you stay creative and encourage your creativity and do the things that mean that you can get up again tomorrow and still be creative rather than um, letting it burn out. What what are your preferred ways of, of doing that, of nurturing your creativity? Yeah, that's such a great question. So I try to take some time every day. Just It can be quite brief, but like they're just these little pockets of time where I'm not taking anything in i'm not looking at the phone i'm not thinking about things um and where i can just engage in sort of mindful activities so that might be this automatic drawing that i talked about where i'm just sort of watching the marks as i'm doing them and feeling feeling the the pen on the paper and and feeling my breathing change or I practice Tai Chi, like we talked about. So I'll go out and I'll do some some light Tai Chi and really focus on being in my body and the grass under my feet and the sun on my skin um, and things like this. So I just make sure I take some time to do that because if I don't, I'll just 
reach my limit of, mm. you know, or sometimes I'll just take a nap and that also helps. <laughs> it really <But> yeah, does. <laughs> the, yeah. So that, that, that's it. Just like taking some time to, to step away from this constant flow of information and just regenerate through just being in the moment. Yeah. And being in my um, body. Absolutely sound advice for anyone, no matter what they're doing. I think that. So, I think um, so. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that with us, Darren. And thank you for the fascinating conversation. Um, and I'm sure that there will be a lot of people out there who are going off to read your article right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Great. I'll Thanks put the so link much. in the show notes and um, yeah, we'll take it from there. So I'll see you on the other side. Sounds great. Thank you. You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there, so thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines, and I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice, and bite-sized brain science every week. 